0: Thank you, worship team. That last song about being set free, it's just rolling around in my head. Free from what? Scripture tells us that you're either a slave to righteousness or a slave to sin, but you're a slave to something. And only when you're a slave to righteousness are you truly free. Jesus said, you'll know the truth and it'll set you free said, if the Son, if Jesus has set you free, you're free indeed. And if not, you go through this entire world, this entire life, just shackled to things you don't even know. You're shackled to, to hopelessness. You're shackled to the fear of the grave. You're shackled to the end of the month when the money runs out. You're shackled to the relationships that don't work. You're shackled to yourself. So as, as you're singing that song, I'm just thinking all the things that I've been set free from and, and, and what it really means to have hope. And I'm just kind of, oh, I don't even want to go into this. Med- let's, I'm going to change the message up. We're just going to preach on something else this morning. Wow. My name is Chris Richards. Good morning. I'm one of the pastors here at Windsor Community Church. I get to preach through Genesis twenty three. We've had a couple of a weeks of break in here. I had a special service, had a fantastic service last week with uh First Peter two and Chris preaching through first Peter chapter two verses nine through twelve. Fantastic passage there. And then the week before that, that kind of that do you call it an awkward service? Embrace awkward, we're gonna get t shirts where we just wanted to hear what the Lord was doing in people's lives through the last couple of months as, as Windsor Community Church has really focused on, on begging the Lord to give us a heart to pray what has happened has it really made an effect has, has God said here's where I want you to be now get there here I've given you everything you need for life and godliness I'm bringing you to this place respond to me What's happened in that last month? And so we spent an entire service just going through wanting to respond to those things. And so now we find ourselves back in Genesis. For those of you who don't know, it is our desire. What we are about here is we do expositional teaching. We pick a book of the Bible and we march through it verse by verse by verse by verse. And so we have been in Genesis for 11 years now. (laughs) And we are now in... That sounds funny, but I don't know how long it took us to get through John... But it took us a long time. And John's not nearly 50 chapters. So it might be funny now, but when we're on chapter 49, we very well may be saying, Well, there, young fellow, we're now in chapter 49. So we're in chapter 23, and the last thing that we are on is Abraham taking Isaac up to the mountain in response to obedience to God to sacrifice or at least to respond obediently to what God had called him to do. And then, why they didn't start chapter 23 in that last paragraph, I don't know, but I'm going to kind of back up a little bit because chapter 23 really does start at the end of chapter 22. So let's go ahead and read, starting in verse 22. And I'm just going to read a little piece here. It's really tough when you're in Exodus and not in Genesis. It just doesn't look right. See, I really was in a hurry to get through Genesis. Genesis chapter 22, and I'm going to start in verse 20. And the reason I'm going to start there is it seems like there's this this paragraph just thrown at the end of the sacrifice and this interaction between between God and Abraham. And so I'm just going to read that piece before we get to the slide part. Starting at verse 20. Now after these things, it was told to Abraham, Behold, Milcah also has born children to your brother Naor. Uz, his firstborn, Buzz, his brother, Camuel the father of Aram, and a whole bunch of more people, Bethel fathered Rebekah, these eight Milcah bore to Nahor, Abraham's brother. Moreover, his concubine, whose name was Rumah, bore Tabah, Gaham, Tahash, and Makah. The reason I wanted to read that piece is because this guy comes to Abraham and says, This lady named Rebekah was born. We're totally set up now for chapter 23. But I don't want us to forget that Rebecca's born before all of this other stuff happens. Okay? Because what's going to happen in this next chapter, we're going to see Sarah, the matriarch, is going to die. But she doesn't die until we already know Rebecca's on her way. Okay? So let's go ahead now and read chapter 23. Sarah lived 127 years. These were the years of the life of Sarah. And Sarah died at Kiritharba, that is Hebron. I'm so glad they shortened that. In the land of Canaan. And Abraham went in to mourn for Sarah and to weep for her. And Abraham rose up from before his dead and said to the Hittites, I am a sojourner and a foreigner among you. Give me property among you for a burying place that I may bury my dead out of my sight. The Hittites answered Abraham... Hear us, my Lord. You are a prince of God among us. Bury your dead in the choicest of our tombs. None of us will withhold from you his tomb or hinder you from burying your dead. Abraham rose and bowed to the Hittites, the people of the land, and said to them, If you are willing, I should bury my dead out of my sight. Hear me and entreat me, Ephron, the son of Zohar." that he may give me the cave of Machpelah, which he owns. It is at the end of his field. For the full price, let him give it to me in your presence as property for a burying place. Now, Ephron was sitting among the Hittites. And Ephron the Hittite answered Abram in the hearing of the Hittites, of all who went to the gate of his city. No, my lord, hear me, I give you the field. And give you the cave that is in it. In the sight of the sons of my people, I give it to you. Bury your dead. Then Abraham bowed before the people of the land. And he said to Ephron in the hearing of the people of the land, But if you will hear me, I give the price of the field. Accept it from me, and I may bury my dead there. Ephron answered Abraham, My Lord, listen to me. A piece of land is worth 400 shekels of silver. What is that between you and me? Bury your dead. Abraham listened to Ephron, and Abraham weighed out for Ephron the silver that he had named in the hearing of the Hittites, 400 shekels of silver, according to the weights current among the merchants. So the field of Ephron in Machpelah, which is at the east of Mamre, The field and the cave that was in it and all the trees that were in the field throughout the whole area was made over to Abraham as a possession in the presence of the Hittites before all who went in at the gate of his city. After this, Abraham buried Sarah, his wife, in the cave of the field at Machpelah, east of Mamre, that is Hebron, in the land of Canaan, the field and the cave that is in it were made over to Abram as property for the burying place of the Hittites. Wow. So, wow. You know, one of the reasons we preach straight through the Bible is so that when we get to passages like that, we don't go, hmm, nothing there, move on. Let's, uh, mm-hmm, yep, Barry's dead, got it. We're just going to move on to something exciting like for God to love the world that he gave his own, We can, we can really, we can do something there. Because as we study this, we study and we study and it goes from huh to oh to mm. And God starts to work and work and work and work and work and so I eventually reached a place in the last month that I don't like this passage, and I mean some of you that know I'm, I'm a I'm a critical person. I'm skeptical. I'm critical, and I and I struggle with lots of things that really force me to study a lot because I just don't get it. And and this is one of those passages that has so many. And this is one of the passages that scare me about Genesis because there are threads tied into Genesis 23 that. Just tangle all the way into Joshua. In fact, all the way into 2 Samuel, there's stuff attached to Genesis 23. And, and if you don't get the whole picture, then it just is, yep, Sarah died at 127 years old and Abraham buried her. Can we go on to chapter 24 now? And you miss it. And so what we're going to do, we're just going to step through this whole thing. And so here's some Bible trivia from verse 1. Sarah lived to be 127 years old. Did you know that there is no other woman in the Bible that is mentioned, that it's mentioned her age when she died? Sarah is the only one. I found that. I did not validate that information. But I read it in a couple of places and thought, wow, that's interesting. I didn't know. That. I wonder why that is. I don't have an answer for you but it's great Bible trivia. So when you're playing Bible trivia and they ask that question, you know, and it's 127 years old. Here's what you do know about Sarah. Uh, I don't know how to say this other than just write out and say it. She's beautiful all the way up to the end. This lady was 90-something years old and men still wanted to pull her into a harem. This lady died 127 years old. Gorgeous. This is a beautiful lady. She was full of years, it says, And in chapter 22, right before we're told that Sarah dies, we're told that Rebecca has been born. You're going to see a switch happen. We're not going to see that till next week. But we need to keep that in mind because Sarah's going to die, but Rebecca's going to become the next matriarch. Now what happens here? We know it says that Abraham went in and mourned for her. But the whole passage is not about really Sarah dying. Do you notice that? We spend two verses, and really they repeat themselves, about Sarah dying. And then we go through this long negotiation process to get this cave to put her in. It's two verses. But those two verses, we don't want to just jump right over the top of them. Because it says that, that Abraham went in and mourned and wept over her. In a day like we live in, it's important to just stop here. Some of you knew Valerie and a friend of mine, and a friend of some of yours, and and we just lost her to cancer. And we had a number of conversations with her, and, and it's interesting that oftentimes people would ask her questions like, "Well, don't you know?" Or ask Ben, her husband, questions like, "Well, you know, we we do understand faith. We do understand where she's going. Why would you be sad?" What do you mean, why would you be sad? You're about to lose your soulmate. These people were together for who knows how long, all the way since the first calling of Abraham, Sarah was right there the whole time. And he just lost the love of his life through everything. He tried to give her away twice, but he, she didn't hold that against him, right? <laughs> she was, she's, just, she's this man's soulmate, and, and he goes in and he, he loves her. And he's weeping for her. He's grieving for her. Now, chapter twenty two, we understand that Abraham knows about the resurrection. He knows. We get it from we get it from Hebrews but it says, You know what? He knew that God was just gonna raise it he's gonna raise his boy from the dead. Even if he did sacrifice him, if he went all the way through it, by the time he was done, Isaac would be raised back up, they'd be walking out together. We heard that from Pastor Dean a little while ago, right? He, already, he understood it. It's not that he didn't understand that God is in heaven and how this whole system is going to work out to a degree. It's not that he didn't know that. It's that he just lost a cherished person in his life. And I say this for the Gnostics in our crowd, because I'm kind of one of them, where I would be very quick to say, but you know she's going to be resurrected. We, we jumped into John, John 11, and when I went to this, I had to read John 11. John 11 is where, where Jesus brings Lazarus back from the grave, where he resuscitates him. And I went there because I remember Jesus saying to the sister, um, I am the resurrection and the life. Didn't I, didn't I tell you, don't you believe in the resurrection? She says, oh yes, I, I believe. And, and it sounds kind of cold and calculated when I, was, when I played it in my mind. But then I went back and read it and, and it says Jesus wept and then everybody around him said, isn't it obvious how much Jesus loved this guy? And then he said, didn't I tell you that if you believed you would see the power of God? But the two are together we have, yes, the truth and the hope. Christians are so chained to hope, aren't we? I mean, we're just, we're creatures of hope. We, we can't get away from it. Everything, we get up in the morning hopeful. We, we go to bed hopeful. Everything that helps us to function is in the hope that God is who he said he is. That God did bring Christ back and he's going to bring us to him. That he rewards the faithful. All of this is hope. But at the same time, That hope is tied to humanity. And we do hurt, and we do love. And so this piece in this passage, we just don't want to just jump over it because it's one verse. Abraham did go in, and he mourned. He did love this woman. And that love all by itself just makes Sarah this... It it adds to that beauty, doesn't it? If it has said... Abraham came home, found out that his 127-year-old wife is dead, so he went out and got her burial plot and buried her in it. That, That doesn't glorify Sarah at all, does it? But here you see that it just adds to her beauty. I just like that part. But at the same time, we see in 1 Thessalonians 4, Abraham did not grieve as one that didn't have hope right? Because he did understand. These things do mix together. And so when Abraham is grieving for Sarah, he knows, like Job, when Job says, my Redeemer lives. And even if my skin is going to decay and fall off, I am going to see God. Let it come. Even if I fall apart and I die and I go to the grave and I, my Redeemer lives. I'm going to see God. Abraham knew that. He didn't grieve with someone with no hope or he's just like, oh, I don't know what to do. Oh, no. And he was sad. He lost the love of his life. But he wasn't sad like somebody who doesn't understand what's coming. He's a man of promise. So it says, then he rose up and he said to the Hittites. He knew what he was about to do. And this is the part that's just intriguing to me. This negotiation and what he was actually doing. And... But then I have a problem that I think I came to the end of my problem. Well, I have lots of problems. I came to the end of maybe one of them while studying this in this negotiation process. But let's look at that. He said to the Hittites, I'm an alien, a stranger, a sojourner among you. Sell me some property so I can bury my dead. Do you know how long Abraham's been here in this land? 62 years So can you imagine living in Windsor for 62 years and saying, yeah, I'm from Kansas? That's about what he said. He said, I I don't own anything. I have no responsibilities to the government here. I have no rights. I have nothing. And I've been here longer than most of us have been alive. I'm still a sojourner here. Still a sojourner. And I think last week, Chris used that word a lot in in just showing us this picture of what it means to be a sojourner even here on earth. What is a believer? What does it mean to be a believer? When we put this in connection with the promised land, what does that mean? Well, the whole promised land idea with Abraham was meant to be a picture for us of what it means to, to not actually have an inheritance here, but have an inheritance in heaven and be longing for that and making plans for that. And that's exactly what Abraham's doing here. He doesn't have any inheritance here. He doesn't have any land here. He has nowhere to even put his dead. So he goes to them and says, I got no rights here, fellas. I got nothing. Feel free to take advantage of me. And so they do. Hebrews 11, I have to read this. Hebrews 11, 13 through 16. This is about us. And look at the correlation between this and Abraham. All these people, Abraham, were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance. And they admitted that they were aliens and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country that is not their own. If they had been thinking of the country that they had left, they would have had the opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. You know, at the end of chapter 22, when when he talks about his brother had all these kids and and all these people were were back in the land where he came from, uh, a couple of commentators said, There must have been a rope tied around Abraham's heart, just pulling him back to where he came from when Sarah died. Pulling, just pulling him back to where he was, because there, all his family is there, everything security's there. He, I don't know that that's true. It doesn't tell us that. It says his mind was fixed as being a sojourner because the property he's looking for is one that's crafted by the hands of God. Our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await the Savior to bring us there. The Hittites replied to Abraham, Oh, listen, bury your dead anywhere you want. Abraham didn't want that. He didn't want to just borrow a tomb. He wanted a tomb. Now, this whole thing is negotiations, okay? This is going to get boring, Maybe. Those of you legal people are probably like, oh, I can't wait to get to Genesis 23. Oh, it's just it's great legal stuff and how they, they work and they negotiate and they lie to each other and they negotiate and, and I just kind of get lost in it all. But it says they were going to just let him bury somewhere and he, want, he said, no, no, I, I want to buy a place for full. I want it to be mine. I'm going to sacrifice whatever it costs. I am going to make this mine. Okay? And so they give him this place. Eventually, they sell him this place called Machpelah, which is a cave at the end of a field. He didn't want the field. He just wanted the cave. We'll get to that in a minute. Where is this? If we can do the geography lesson, And so first off, you see there should be a red square around a place. There's Hebron. Hey, this is your geography lesson, just to get a context of where this thing is. And and in the end, we'll make this important. And just some context, you have just to the north of Hebron and Mamre and Machpelah, where this this is where Abraham was. You go up just a little bit, about 10 miles, and you see Bethlehem. And about 10 miles above that, you see Jerusalem. Hey, that's the two blue boxes up there. All right, so now if we switch, let's get a modern-day Google Earth. All right, so there is the modern-day version. And again, the red square is just around where Hebron still is. Okay, just catch that for a minute. 4,000 years later, Hebron, oh, you're not going to believe this, but they call Machpelah. You want to know what they call it now? Machpelah. Okay, it's still there. The hole in the ground, the cave, is still there. Now, of course you want to go home and research this, but be careful because when you go to Google Earth and you say, well, show me the Wikipedia stuff. Can you show that next slide? Here's what Wikipedia says. And you can't actually see that, but maybe you can. There are four important couples buried there. Can you see those of you who have good eyes? Can you see who the first couple is? Oh, yeah, you just laugh, roll on the ground. Adam and Eve are buried there. Be careful of Wikipedia when it comes to Bible study. Hey, Wikipedia says that Adam and Eve are buried in the tomb of Machpelah also. Hey, um, there's, that's ludicrous. And so if you click on the more button and you go to the actual Wikipedia site, they've taken that part out because that's an embarrassment. But it is right here, and I circled that for you. Just be careful when you're doing Bible study because I, I laughed and laughed. But right now, that tomb does still exist. And there are a number of people in there, Abraham and Sarah, Isaac and Rebecca and Jacob and Rachel and Leah are all in that tomb. And you can go all the way through Genesis and from Genesis all the way up to Genesis 50, you have people promising, I'll put your bones there. And Joseph himself took Jacob to Machpelah and buried him there. Even after they'd been in Egypt for a while, they took him back. And who owns it? Well, Abraham did. So it's their land. They walked right in there and buried Jacob in the tomb. And 4,000 years later, it's still there. And here's, here's the quote. That even though the promise had not been fulfilled, we see that in, in Hebrews 11, the tomb all by itself just screams promise land promised land it's like a beacon in the middle of this land that people are coming back to and that's the part that just grabbed onto me this week and thought okay where's the gospel in that i mean really what what is i read this i always ask these questions i say why did the holy spirit have moses write that down because there's a reason it may not have been written to us but it's written for us what what's the holy spirit's purpose there So as I read scripture, I'm looking for that. And then then the next question after I figure that out, I say, okay, then what is God showing me about himself in what the Holy Spirit told me? What the Holy Spirit's telling me through this passage, what am I learning about God? Because he's exposing himself to me through this passage. What is it? And so as I see this, step number one is this beacon is like a calling to the promised land. So... Like in the New Testament, in the New Testament, death is a calling card to heaven. I mean, the grave is something that says, come home, come home. That's death. And when you, as a believer, when you see somebody die, you say to yourself, everything that I want to know right now, that person knows. Everything. And though you're sad, though you're sad that you've lost this person, you there's an excitement that you have, that that adventure that they just started, they know everything. They To be absent in the body is to be present with the Lord. Right now, that person has seen Jesus, and their faith has become sight. They know it. Oh, you long for that. Remember I said Christians are just bound to hope? You, It, it just pumps through your veins like like whatever that red stuff is, it just pumps through your veins and you can't get away from it. And so when you see that happen, well, in the Old Testament, it's no different. In the Old Testament, God has made it so that that grave, that sepulcher of bones cries out, promised land, promised land, promised land. Now We don't think the same way. So we have to be a little bit careful and kind of go back and think like an Israelite. When Jacob says, promise me, promise me before I die, I am not going to curl up on this bed and die until you promise me that you are going to gather me up and you are going to take me to the land of my fathers and bury me in the promised land because I want to be there when you all get there because it's God's promise and by faith I know he's going to do it and I want you to bring me there. That's how they thought. And so for us as a Christian, what does that mean? What are we doing today that says, promise me, promise me? Or, then Jacob, after, after they said yes, that he curled up and died. That's what we have in Scripture. As soon as they said yes, we promised we're going to take you there. He said, okay, good, I'm in the promised land, curled up and died right then. As a Christian, what do we do with that? When we say the, the Scripture tells us to set our hope fully, fully on the day that Christ is going to be revealed to us. What does our life look like that says, I'm making plans to be in the promised land? To be in that city that's not crafted by human hands, but crafted by God. What does that look like? What investments are we making? So we get to this piece then where Abraham tells him, Sell me the land. And he says, Ah, the land, the field. 400 shekels, but what's that between you and me? It's just 400 shekels of silver. As soon as he said it, I'm thinking Abraham went, because we see in a couple places, I don't know how the economy all worked there, but we see a place in Jeremiah. Jeremiah buys a field, huge field, for the same reason. He actually buys the field for the same reason that Abraham bought this field, really looking forward, not really to bury dead, but looking forward to have this place, right? When the people return from exile. You know how much he paid? Seventeen shekels. So 400, hmm. And then, and then another one earlier in First in, in Kings, we have that somebody bought a whole hill for two shekels of silver. And so 400 feels like Abraham got taken. And the only reason that this initially I said, so what But ever, almost everybody writes about Abraham getting taken. And you think about this, you think, well, that's kind of funny. Because later on, Joseph is going to bring Jacob. And other than the fact he has the whole Egyptian army behind him, they just let him right in. Why? Well, can you imagine the stories at the city gate? <laughs> you know that abraham he's such an idiot. I sold him this thing for 400 shekels, and he paid. And that's got to be just a joke for generations that that Israelite, go do business with the Israelites. They'll pay you 400 bucks for a plot of land. And never, ever did it ever leave the culture that that piece of land belonged to Abraham. Because he's, it, it was a, it could be a standing joke. Maybe. I don't know. don't know. And I'm also not sure about the economy there. Maybe 400 shekels of silver was worth that then, and later the economy changed. I don't know, but I kind of like that idea of... of how do you guarantee, for multiple hundreds of years, that they know that that's Abraham's? How do you guarantee that? I don't know. But here's where I run into my problem. Here's my problem. Abraham was not told by God to go and buy up the promised land. And and just follow. Just give me some freedom for just a second. And, and I'm sorry that you have to be part of my thinking process. But when Abraham tried to take control of things last time, he found Hagar and had a son, Ishmael. And we read, oh, that's terrible, that's terrible, that's terrible. And now he, he, takes, he has lots of money. He has lots of belongings. And he says, I need, I need part of the promised land. And so he goes and he, he just buys it. There's never anywhere in Scripture. Why did he not just sit and wait? and say, God, I need a place to bury my dead. And God bring him Ephron, and Ephron say, you know, for some reason, I've had this dream over and over and over again that a million kangaroos come out of my closet and eat me because I haven't given you this land. And so I thought I would just come to you and, and, and give you the land. Why didn't it happen that way? It seems to me as though on one side, Abraham tries to make this promise happen and, and go find Hagar and make the, the whole sun and, and, and line thing happen, and we see, ah, eh, wrong. And then over here, we see that Abraham needs some land in the promised land, and nowhere does God say, go buy some promised land. Never is that said. It says, I will give you... This promised land to you and your descendants, they will take it and the, nobody will stop them. That's what it says. Give, not buy. And he says, there's going to be 400 shekels. And he goes, oh, whatever. I got 400 shekels. He pours it out and he buys a piece of the promised land. And from then until all the way through David, the last thing that we see about this land directly is that David is anointed king here. We see Caleb and Joshua going here and coming back and saying, oh, we can take this. Ask home. Mama and daddy, grandma, grandpa, they there. We can take this. By faith, God will help us take this. We see this to just be a beacon, a beacon of faith all the way through. That causes me a little bit of, I have to ask the question anyway. Why? That's what I ask. And so through digging, I really just want to let that sit and just let you go home and just think about that. But we can't do that because that's not how sermons work. We see in Romans 12, one of my favorite passages, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. We quote it all the time because we want you to read your Bibles. We want everybody to be in their word because we know that, that the, we get transformed by the renewing of our minds. You got to think right. We've seldom ever quote the second half of that passage. You want to know what God's will is? Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. And when we see Abraham in his life, do you think he's able to make decisions in the will of God? It's a question. We don't see in Scripture... That this happening, but we see that his decisions marked the Hebrew people for generations. And then I look back and I say, him purchasing this land for his dead is not him buying up the promised land. He doesn't have some kind of a a land thing going on, trying to buy up all of Windsor and put lakes on it. He is in faith buying a tomb to put his dead so that when God fulfills that promise, they'll be there. Do you see the difference? With Hagar, Abraham said, it ain't happening. I'm getting old. My wife's getting old. She's still beautiful. Very beautiful. But she's getting old. We got to hurry this thing along and I need to take God's promise into my own hands. That's what he's doing here in the promised land. Abraham's actually saying, I'm responding to God's promise in faith. There's a great story. Two farmers, they're getting hammered by a drought. They're going to lose their farms. They come together and they agree. Let's pray. Let's pray for rain. So they pray for rain. The next day, one farmer looks out his window, and he sees the other farmer out there plowing his field. So he runs out there, and he says, what are you doing? guy plows along. I'm preparing for rain. That's what Abraham is doing. He's preparing for rain. He knows that God is going to fulfill his promise, and so he's investing in that promise. He's investing in who he is. Ding, ding, ding. Maybe? Christians we have a promise we have a promise of of the coming Messiah he's going to come back he's going to get us we are going to be with Christ in heaven are we investing there where is your time talents energy money all of those things where you spend those things determines it it dictates where you think you're going to spend your future now we can pussyfoot around that all day long But it's just true where you put your energy and your time and your talents tells everyone where you think you're going to be tomorrow because you're setting it up. That's human. And if you are a sojourner on earth and you say, I have set my hope. I have set my eyes fully on the day that Jesus Christ is going to be revealed and redeem me like Job, my Redeemer lives and even though this this body may die, I'm going to see God. If that just impassionates you, everything about who you are is going to invest in that thought. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Nobody comes to Christ thinking that way. Excuse me. Nobody prior to being in Christ thinks that way. It's foolishness, Corinthians tells us. It's foolishness to take your entire life and hang it on a dead man. Unless he's not dead anymore. Unless he really did take his life and give it away for you. To redeem you and bring you back to God. If that's what he did... And you start investing because he says, oh, by the way, and I brought you back to God so that you can be with him, so that you can be reconciled and brought back, and one day I'm coming back and I'm going to bring you to be with him. If that's what you're setting your mind on to the rest of the world, baby, that's foolish. That's foolish. But if it's true... I have to stop there. If it's true, if it's true, then everything that you're setting your life on is one day going to be responded by this. Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into my rest that I've prepared for you. That is what Abraham's doing. Abraham is investing in the promise that God has given us. This is the thing that just made me go, ding! Wow! That's really in Genesis 23? That's for believers, people. What are we investing in what we say is the promise of God? What are we investing? Let's pray. God, your word just lights me up. just... <laughs> I'm so thankful that you've shown us yourself. You've shown us your sovereignty, you've shown us your plan. You've you've told us that you've come and and you've redeemed us and you've given us God, you've given us everything we need. But God, I'm just like in verse 1, Lord. There's times when life gets heavy and it gets distracting and and God our humanity collides with our doctrine, if we can say it that way. And so, God, I would pray for each one of us. God, I would pray that you would, that you would give us that clear, a clearer picture of who you are and and how you're drawing us to yourself. God, everybody that's in here, whether whether they've submitted their lives to you or or whether they're on the fence or they just reject you totally God I would pray for each one of them God, that you would you would just clear up that picture of the promises that you've given us God that you have redeemed us you have given us what we need to be with you forever God that we'd be transformed by the renewing of our minds